2: You're listening to the Rock and Roll Heaven podcast with L.D. and T.J. Can you dig that, baby?
3: (laughs) Hey, guys. Welcome to Rock and Roll Heaven, the podcast where we talk about the lives, careers, and deaths of famous musicians. I am your host, L.D., along with me for the ride, as always, is T.J. Oh, hey. Hey, T.J.,
1: you have no voice. I don't have a voice. No.
3: <laughs> Thank God it's not my episode, but um if you can't tell I kind of partied hard on my birthday.
1: <laughs> yeah. She had she had a little bit of fun. I had a lot of yelling. I didn't
3: drink. Cuz it's been almost <laughs> an entire week. It's been an entire week and I I woke up on Monday and I was so incredibly sick. And um
1: this is why you don't leave the house. Uh, yeah.
3: See, <laughs> this is what happens when I leave. If I stay at home this doesn't happen. <laughs> um. So you're going to be taking over the majority of this episode. I'm so glad it's not my episode. But we're now starting off our spooky October. So maybe this is a good voice for that. So
1: yeah, because by the end she may just be chiming in in whispers. So <laughs> yeah. you know,
3: that's how I've been talking a lot this week. Was just in whispers.
1: I know she was just telling me about her like week and all this stuff, and it's like all whisper. I'm like, dude. This is creepy.
3: But I do, uh, before I shut up, I do want to say thank you so much to the Hickey siblings. That's my husband and my two uh, sister-in-laws, Beth and Claire, because they bought us the H6 recorder, so we're going to have a new recorder for the podcast. We're so stoked. We're so excited. We're going to start working on that and like figuring out all the buttons soon, so... We're very excited. So thank you so much to the Hickey siblings.
1: Thanks, Hickeys.
3: All right, TJ. Yeah. The stage is
1: yours. All right. So this episode, I'm actually really excited about this. And, uh, you know, when when LD and I were coming up with the topics for the month of October, because we didn't want to focus on one individual. We wanted to focus on kind of a bunch of topics that are spooky or just a little different. They're all still dark because that's why y'all come to us but (laughs) with our upbeat take on them. So true. But this one's really fun for me because this episode is about songs with darker meanings than what the music and the melodies might portray. So I'm really excited about this. It was like the first thing one of the Biggest things, rather, not the first thing. But one of the biggest things in music school that we had to do on the vocal end was not only, like, learning to sing, but, like, analyzing lyrics and understanding the meanings of the songs. So this one was really kind of... It got me jazzed. Then I'm glad I gave it to you. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, I I was going to fight for this one, (laughs) because this is, like, my thing. I write lyrics. I analyze lyrics, like... uh... So... Apologies in advance. Some of them are longer. Some of them are shorter. I ran out of time. Puppies are hard uh, and require a lot of time. And uh, I also want to put out there because of the subject matter of the episode, I want to put out there. These are mostly testaments from the actual artists themselves about what their song is about. We are not political. We don't we're not getting into that. Like we're I mean, we have our views, but they're not necessarily these views. Yeah,
3: it's this is a it's not a political podcast. It's a podcast about music. And occasionally politics slip in. But this is not one of those episodes. So whatever your view is on the subject, we aren't going to be attacking that.
1: No, and we're not going to engage with that either. So I'm going to kick it off. Oh, just so I put it up front. My sources, a lot of Wikipedia, there's a cool website called song meanings and com. There was a little list on the website Bustle.com. So to kick off the episode, I'm going to talk about a song. And of course, right after I give the political spiel, this is probably one of the more controversial songs that I'm going to talk about. But I'm going to talk about Foster the People, Pumped Up Kicks. (laughs) Yeah, so that's a little bit of it to intro it. Despite the kind of bubblegummy light sound, the lyrics actually speak to something a bit darker and stirred up, like I said, stirred up controversy in regards to the meaning. The lyrics' pumped-up kicks are written from the perspective of a troubled and delusional youth with homicidal thoughts. Mark Foster, the group's frontman, noted to NPR Music's World Cafe, that he wondered, quote, what would it be like to be inside of a kid's head that's a teenager and is basically losing his mind? The chorus reads, all the other kids with the pumped up kicks, you'd better run, better run, outrun my gun, and continues to, you'd better run, better run, faster than my bullet, speaking to warn potential victims. When asked in interviews about the sinister subject matter, Foster often refers to Truman Capote's In Cold Blood And in a statement to CNN said, I wrote Pumped Up Kicks when I began to read about the growing trend in teenage mental illness. I wanted to understand the psychology behind it because it was foreign to me. It was terrifying how mental illness among youth had skyrocketed in the last decade. I was scared to see where the pattern was headed if we didn't start changing the way we were bringing up the next generation. He also wanted to, quote, bring awareness To the issue of gun violence among youth, which he feels is an epidemic perpetuated by, quote, lack of family, lack of love and isolation. The song's title refers to shoes that the narrator's peers wear as a status symbol. While his intent was to create an anti-gun violence anthem, there are many that say it promoted gun violence, particularly school shooting, in a time when there is too much. People would even call radio stations and wrote to Foster's label to express their distaste for the song and try to have it pulled. For airplay on channels like MTV and MTVU, which is now I guess CheddarU, uh, okay, sure. The words "gun" and "bullet" were removed. You're neutering the whole song. Yeah. So I and I don't really see how that helps. Like I, I mean, our takes on the political side of it aside, I can definitely see why there's some controversy over the meaning. You know, the the artist himself has spoken out and said, this is what I meant behind it, but there's a lot of people that don't feel that he conveyed that properly and that he actually glorified it instead of making a statement against it. So... Um, my takeaway
3: from the song the first time that I heard it, because I am one of those people that actually listens to the lyrics the first time. Yeah. Like, through. And... I caught the meaning that it was a school shooting. And while the mel- like the 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 music itself is really upbeat, that can always be deceiving in my opinion. Right. And and I thought it was interesting with his lyrics juxtaposed against that music. And I can see why there would be that confusion, but if you listen to the lyrics, he's clearly making a statement against it. Like That was my hot take.
1: Right. Like, I think that was kind of part of it, too, is that you've got it up against this more up-tempo, so it kind of lends towards, oh, yeah, this is, you know, the facade, but this kid is messed up. Like, I don't know. On to song number two. You'll notice I kind of grouped songs with similar themes together uh, for compare-contrast reasons. So similar to Pumped Up Kicks, I want to talk about I Don't Like Mondays, which in one of the articles that I found about Pumped Up Kicks, they actually compared that song to this one with a similar subject matter. LD's going to play just a little snippet here. Okay, so that's kind of a little snippet of the song. Already you can kind of hear where we're going. Again, it's a song about gun violence and in particular school shootings. The song was released in 1979 by the band the Boomtown Rats. Bob Geldof, Live Aid,
3: 1985.
1: Go back to your corner, ghost. Bob Geldof of the band The Boomtown Rats wrote the song after reading a report on the shooting spree of 16-year-old Brenda Ann Spencer, who fired at children in a school playground at Grover Cleveland Elementary School in San Diego, California, on January 29, 1979, killing two adults and injuring eight children and a police officer. Spencer showed no remorse for her crime. Her full explanation for her actions was, I don't like Mondays, this livens up the day. Geldof had been contracted by Steve Jobs to play a gig for Apple, inspiring the opening line about a silicone chip. The song was first performed less than a month later. Geldof explained how he wrote that song. I was doing a radio interview in Atlanta with Johnny Fingers, and there was a telex machine beside me. I read it as it came out. Not liking Mondays as a reason for doing somebody in is a bit strange. I was thinking about it on the way back to the hotel, and I just said silicone chip inside her head had switched to overload. I wrote that down. And the journalist interviewing her said, Tell me why. It was such a senseless act. It was the perfect senseless act, and this was the perfect senseless reason for doing it. So perhaps I wrote the perfect senseless song to illustrate it. It wasn't an attempt to exploit tragedy. Geldof had originally intended the song as a B-side, but changed his mind after the song was successful with audience on the Rats' U.S. tour. Spencer's family tried unsuccessfully to prevent the single from being released in the United States. And in years later, Geldof admitted that he regretted writing the song because he, quote, made Brenda Spencer famous, which I could see that.
3: Well, there is a movement now to not put the killer's name out there
1: anymore. Right. Like the news outlets won't report on because you're sensationalizing them and making yeah. them famous. You know, I mean, look at like Manson and all that. Like you're just kind of in some cases, kind of giving them what they wanted.
3: Well, look at look at Columbine. We know Eric Harris and Dylan Klebold's name, and then I think after the Aurora shooting, there was really like a movement to not glorify the killer and not give them the credit. And I actually couldn't tell you who was the one that did the Route 90. Right. Killing, I don't know, the Parkland killer's name. And I kind of like it
1: that way. I think it's better that way, personally. Our opinions. Going to move on. Continuing the streak of gun-related songs. I have to mention, then, Hey Man, Nice Shot by Filter. This is not about school shooting, but it is gun-related. So if you're a child of the 90s, You probably remember this song. So this one is different than the first two because it's a rock song. So it's definitely like you get that feel that it's a darker song. (laughs) It's definitely darker in sound. With that being said, I'll tell you what it means. I'm going to set the record straight because there has long been some misconceptions about what the song was about. Although the singer and songwriter... Richard Patrick frequently clarified this in his interviews as well as the fact that he had first written the song in 1991 before the band even had a record deal. The song's popularity was augmented by a widespread perception that it was about the 1994 suicide of Kurt Cobain. It's not. Again, it's written in 1991. It wasn't released until 1995, so I think that kind of maybe spurred this misconception or this rumor but it's not about that the song was written about the public suicide of pennsylvania state treasurer r bud dwyer on january 22nd 1987 dwyer had been convicted on bribery charges in december 1986 and was expected to receive a long sentence from u.s district court judge malcolm muir professing his innocence and decrying the legal system Dwyer shot himself with a 357 Magnum during a press conference.
3: For those who are macabre or macabre, however you say it, you can actually find his suicide on either YouTube or LiveLeak.
1: Well, it was in the middle of a press conference, so,
3: yeah. So, after he committed suicide on camera... A couple years later, they were actually doing an investigation and found out the entire system was corrupt and that Bud was actually one of the few innocent people in this whole tangled web, that he didn't actually take a bribe. And the only reason why he actually committed suicide was so his family could get his pension money. Doesn't that disqualify you now, though? Um, It might now, but I think... With him being dead.
1: Or maybe that's insurance.
3: Yeah, it would. So, so there was some somehow, some way, like him passing away, would make sure that his family got the money. That's why he didn't want to be removed from office.
1: He chose to leave that way. Fair enough. So I know that some of these are kind of darker. It's a darker topic today. But to lighten the mood, I've still inserted my fun facts. So, fun fact about Hey Man, Nice Shot. There are at least three versions of the music video for Hey Man, Nice Shot. The first version uses the album mix of the song. A second uses the promo-only remix, later heard in The Cable Guy. Remember that movie?
3: (laughs) It's such an underrated film. I love that movie so much. (laughs) Get on the horse. I don't think he's playing around.
1: And the third version uses the, quote, sober mix. All three of these versions feature footage filmed in December 1994 with color effects being added in during the post-production of the video. Bam! Fun fact. I should say end fun fact. (laughs) Alright, and LD made this list for me. We come to my least favorite song in the world, if you listen to Haters Gonna Hate, Van Halen Jump. We're on the suicide vein, so we have to talk about it, but I'm not going to talk about it for long, so here you go. The synth line was written around 1981 by Eddie Van Halen, but it was refused by the other members of the band. In 1983, producer Ted Templeman asked Roth to take a listen to the unused song idea. Riding around in the back of his 1951 Mercury, I don't know how that's relevant. Thanks, Wikipedia. The band roadie Larry... (laughs) <laughs> the band roadie Larry Hostler, driving. Roth listened repeatedly to the tune. To come up with a lyric for it, he remembered seeing a television news report the night before about a man who was threatening to commit suicide by jumping off a high building. Roth thought that one of the onlookers of such a scene would probably shout, go ahead and jump. Roth bounced his suggestion off Hostler, who agreed it was good. Instead of being a threatened suicide, the words were written as an invitation to love. Roth later told Musician Magazine that Hostler was, quote, probably the most responsible for how it came out. So then we move on because I don't want to talk about it anymore. This one is just released this year. So if you're young and hip, you might know, you might have heard it. It's called Can't Feel My Face by The Weekend.
0: with you, but I love it, but I love it. Oh. And I know she'll be the death of me. At least we'll both be enough. And she'll always get the best of me. The worst is yet to come. All the misery, was necessary. it everywhere. What deep in love? Cause yes, I know, yes, I know, yes, well, yes, I know. She told me.
1: The song, Can't Feel My Face, kind of shows there's two different perspectives here. Or at least is trying to lead you down the road of a different perspective. That it's about a person. About a harmful love affair with a woman. She being the woman. Although he admits she has a negative influence on him, he can't seem to let go because he's deeply in love. The second perspective is that the writer could have been using she as a symbolic representation of something he's addicted to, despite its damaging effects on him. The closest form of addiction the song fits is that of cocaine, and it's been widely suggested that it's really about the drug and its effects. The singer begins the song by drawing attention to the fact that he knows this person or thing will cause his death or cause the worst to happen to him, but they'll both feel numb and stay forever young. If the singer was speaking about a woman... Then he was trying to say that although he knows bad things are bound to happen because of her, he feels good and can live forever while he's with her. This easily describes the side effects of taking cocaine as well, causing numbness while staying beautiful and young forever could be associated with the high level of energy, which eventually results in an early death. The chorus is repeated several times over with the emphasis placed on on how he can't feel his face, again describing numbness when he's with her, but actually loves it. Here the human disguise of the song fades away. The woman is actually a symbol for the drug, in this case cocaine, and he can't feel his face because his sense of feel is impaired when he's high on the drug. He can't interact with the outer world or experience any other form of fulfillment. At the same time, he can't seem to escape because he's caught real deep in it and loves it after all. So there you go. It's not about love. It's about being high. Which leads me to my next song by Third Eye Blind. And while you may be thinking I was going to go to a different song, which should have been mentioned sooner, I'm not going to do Jumper. That one's the obvious choice. It's a song about a suicidal friend and wanting to talk with them and get them out of that. But I want to talk about a different one. It is like, I I swear, it's like the quintessential 90s kid anthem that like still today, I'll put it on the jukebox or something, and all of my other millennial peeps know what we're doing, and we start s- s- sing screaming it <laughs> at the top of our lungs.
3: Yeah, this was this was such a good song. Still is. It's a great song. Love the song.
1: Do it.
4: She lives and she goes and she lives for me, says she lives for me, evasion. Who her motivation, she comes out and she goes down on me, and I'll make it smile like a drug for you, do whatever what you want to do, coming over you, keep on smiling, what we
1: So we just let you have a little snippet of it. And I never said the name of the song, but I bet you knew what I was talking about. Anyways, if you are a fellow millennial, you knew what I was talking about. semi charm Life. The song released in 1997 and sounds like an easygoing pop song. Super catchy. Still love it. And this one is one that is a little deceptive. Because there's other ones that you can kind of start gleaning... What they're talking about or it's outright Obvious what they're talking about Can I
3: just say I don't know what it was like when you were growing up But on the, the MTV Edit and the radio edit They actually took out The words that make this song have the meaning That it does
1: Yes, it's true So here we go If you ever wondered what this song is really about You're about to find out And I'm sorry if it ruins it for you But that was the world we live in get used to disappointment right the lyrics are about a drug user's descent into crystal meth addiction according to jenkins the the lead singer it's a dirty filthy song about snorting speed and getting blowjobs he later explained that quote it's about a time in my life when it seemed like all my friends just sort of tapped out on speed he added that the song is bright and shiny on the surface. And then it just pulls you down into this lock-jawed mess. The music that I wrote for it is not intended to be bright and shiny for bright and shiny's sake. It's intended to be what the seductiveness of speed is like, represented in music. The title, Jenkins said, refers to a life that's all propped up. You know, the beautiful people who lead bright and shiny lives that on the inside are all effed up. I, I censored that for you. I'm sorry if I ruined it for you, but that's what it is. Love you guys. I'm moving on. Two more dark topics ninety nine (laughs) Luft Balloons. 99 Lift Balloons was released in 1983 by a German band by the name of Nena. Despite the 80s pop dance style music, 99 Lift Balloons is actually an anti-war protest song. The lyrics of the original German version tell a story. 99 balloons are set free and are mistaken for UFOs, causing a general to send pilots to investigate. Finding nothing but balloons, the pilots put on a large show of firepower. In the end, a cataclysmic war results from the otherwise harmless flight of balloons and causes devastation on all sides without a victor, as indicated at the end of the song. And I'm not going to attempt to say this line in German because I am not crazy, Which, but it translates to 99 years of war have left no place for winners. The anti-war song finishes with the singer walking through the devastated ruins of the world and finding a balloon. The final line of the piece is the same in the German and English versions and it translates to I think of you and let it go. Surrealistically, when we hear that, the balloon floats away. Like kind of in your own mind, you can just kind of see, hear it. I think at the end, I think it... I think in one of the versions it actually like does do that little sound. It's crazy. So the inspiration for the song came from two places. One was in June of nineteen eighty-two at a concert by the Rolling Stones in West Berlin, Nena's guitarist Carlo Car- Carges? Carges. I'm sorry. Noticed that balloons were being released. As he watched them move toward the horizon, he noticed them shifting and changing shapes where they looked like strange spacecraft, referred to in the German lyrics as UFO or UFO. And he He thought about what might happen if they floated over the Berlin Wall to the Soviet sector. Also cited by the band was a newspaper article from the Las Vegas Review-Journal about five local high school students in 1973 who played a prank to simulate a UFO by launching, by launching 99, one was lost from the original 100 they planned, aluminized mylar balloons attached with ribbons to a traffic flare. The red flame from the flare reflected by the balloons gave the appearance of a large pulsating red object floating over Red Rock Canyon outside the Las Vegas Valley in Nevada. So, like, those two things kind of created the inspiration for the song. I'm going to touch briefly on the English version, if you would like to play that.
4: You and I in a little toy shop Buy a bag of balloons with the money we've got Set them free at the break of dawn To one by one they were gone Back at base, box in the software Flash the message, something's out there Floating in summer sky 99 red balloons
1: So the English version of the song was written by Kevin McCallia. And while it retains the spirit of the original German narrative, many of the lyrics are translated more poetically rather than being direct translations. Red helium balloons are casually released by the civilian singer with her unnamed friend into the sky and are mistakenly registered by a faulty early warning system as enemy contacts Resulting in panic and eventually, nucle- and eventually nuclear war, with the end of the song the same, almost identical, which the last line is identical to the German version. So, if you've caught on to the theme here of similar songs together, you can probably guess where I'm going next. War. Oh, good God, y'all.
3: What is it good for? Absolutely
1: nothing. Say it again. No, I'm not going to war. I am going to another protest song that, again, 90s children will know very well Zombie by the Cranberries. Zombie, again, it's not not a real shocker that this song has a darker meaning. It is definitely a darker sounding song. And the imagery that she puts out in the chorus, especially with the tanks and their bombs and their bombs and their guns. It's not hard to guess that this song is about war and violence. And technically, it's not, I guess it's not really war- so much as it is about violence and it is a protest song is it about the ira yes if you didn't know the cranberries they were an irish rock band they're not from here they're irish um so the song itself was written about the 1993 ira bombing in warrington and in memory of two young victims jonathan ball and tim perry the protest is in the pre-chorus in the words of Dolores O'Riordan, quote, The IRA are not me. I am not the IRA, said O'Riordan. The Cranberries are not the IRA. My family are not. When it says in the song, It's not me. It's not my family, that's what I'm saying. It's not Ireland. The Cranberries' former manager, Alan Kovac, stated that Island Records urged them not to release the politically urgent song as a single, and that O'Riordan had ripped up. A $1 million check, the label offered her to work on another song. Okay, so she's a bamf. Uh, Yeah. And in a quote from the manager, Alan Kovac, he said, Dolores was a very small, fragile person, but very opinionated, said Kovac. Her belief was that she was an international artist, and she wanted to break the rest of the world, and Zombie was part of that evolution. She felt the need to expand beyond, I love you, you love me, and write about what was happening in Ireland at the time. So TJ will be at
3: the helm for Dolores' episode. Uh, because while I love her, I think TJ actually has a greater affection for her. But also, I want to take a second to say, we didn't do it at the top of the show. But this week, we lost the lead singer of the Pixies. And that is an absolute bummer, especially for 90s kids like I am. and And TJ is so... Our hearts and our thoughts and our prayers go out to Kim's family. So I'm sorry that I didn't do that at the top of the episode, but it's here now. So,
1: Well, there you go. And I think it's a perfect time because my my fun facts always seem to come in the middle of the darkest songs. Because why not? So fun fact. Dolores O'Riordan pours her pain and rage into the Cranberries zombie. The mezzo-soprano is not lilting when she does that sharp break from chest register to head register, that falsetto in the second second syllable of the word zombie. So you can say that Dolores O'Riordan taught me how to yodel. Nice. Okay, so if I didn't ruin semi-charm life for you, I'm probably going to shatter your world just a little bit on this next one, too. Because I'm going to talk about Hey Ya by Outkast. Two, two. My baby. So, if you really pay attention to the lyrics, you'll notice the song is not as lighthearted as it sounds, but actually has a much darker meaning. One of the lines in it says, If what they say is nothing lasts forever, then what makes, then what makes, then what makes, then what makes, then what makes love the, the exception? exception. <laughs> so, why, oh, why, oh, why, oh, why, oh, why? I really, this is a weird song to read. Sorry, guys. Are we so in you denial? Sound like William Shatner. <laughs> it's really hard to read this as a as a words, not as a sing. Why <laughs> oh, why oh, why oh, etc. Are we so in denial when we know we're not happy here? Y'all don't want to hear me. You just want
3: to dance.
1: That's right. Clearly, the song is referring to the fact that many people stay in unhappy relationships rather than doing what's right for them and leaving. This is then backed up by an interview with Andre 3000, one half of the OutKast duo, who confirmed that this was in fact the meaning of the hit song on the set of the music video. Quote, Heya is pretty much about the state of relationships in the 2000s. It's about some people who stay together in relationships because of tradition, because somebody told them you guys are supposed to stay together. But you pretty much end up being unhappy for the rest of your life. So hey-ya is really about saying, F it, live life, you know? And again, I censored that. You can guess the real word. The upbeat and catchy music and melody actually play nicely into the message, I think. The idea of hiding behind that so-called perfect and shiny facade and a relationship all while holding back your true feelings. So... Kudos, guys. Great job. And I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Want me to ruin another of your favorite 90s songs? I think we should rename this episode from Songs with Darker Meanings to Let TJ Destroy Your, your Childhood.
4: Could you whisper in my ear The things you want to feel I'll give you energy it coming. Do you wake up on your own? I wonder where you are live with all your thoughts. I want to wake up where you are. I won't say anything at all. So I don't
1: So the song was released in 1998 on Dizzy Up the Girl. I love that album. It was great.
3: Also, the lead singer has, like, the sexiest name, which is Johnny Resnick.
1: Oh. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like we're going back to our, like, teenage hormonal times. It's craziness. In a 2002 performance on VH1 Storytellers, Resnick explained that the song refers to a teenage girl in a strict Catholic environment who has become pregnant. She and her boyfriend are debating as to the possibility of abortion or marriage.
3: I mean, look at that face.
1: I know, he was so hot. He was so hot. I had such a thing for him. Ugh. 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 So good. He's so pretty. So pretty. Look at that smile. I know. Hey, boo. He should be my boyfriend.
3: He should be my 1998 boyfriend.
1: Yes. Although in 1998, I was 14, so that probably wouldn't have been a good call for him. Oh, I was legal. (laughs) (laughs) He could have gone with me. I was not. (laughs) I wasn't jailbait. (laughs) I still thought he was fine, though. Fun fact. Yay! When the band guest starred on an episode of Sesame Street... The song, yes, I'm Sorry, what? yes, yes, <laughs> they guest starred on an episode of Sesame Street. Wikipedia said it, so it must be true. <laughs> so when the band guest starred on an episode of Sesame Street, the song was reworked into Pride, a song sung to Elmo that celebrated the tasks he accomplished in his life. The episode aired on January 31st, 2000. We'll pause while you go look that up on YouTube. And you know, because everybody's got to have a buddy. I think actually, Hey, I was the only one that didn't have like another song similar to that. So far, yeah. In the subject matter, at least. Like, yeah. So, Ben Folds Five, Brick.
4: 6am, day after Christmas, i throw some clothes on in the dark. The smell of cold, car seat is freezing, the world is sleeping, I am. To say
0: that is one
3: of the most chilling songs to me.
1: I don't think I knew it before I did this episode, actually. The the song itself? Yeah. I mean, I know it's another 90s song, <laughs> but I don't think it was in my universe at the time.
3: Oh, I, I love Ben Folds, and I really want them to bring back the TV show The Sing-Off. That should be a thing again.
1: Okay. So on Ben Folds live, the album, Folds explained, people ask me what this song's about. I was asked about it a lot, and I didn't really want to make a big hairy deal out of it because I just wanted the song to speak for itself. But the song is about when I was in high school, me and my girlfriend had to get an abortion, and it was a very sad thing. And I didn't really want to write this song from any kind of political standpoint or make a statement. I just wanted to reflect what it feels like. So anyone who's gone through that before, then you'll know what the song's about. Folds has also said that neither teen wanted their parents to know. So Ben ended up taking most of the presents he received that Christmas and selling them at a pawn shop so he and his girlfriend could afford the abortion. And that's another one that I don't think was really trying to masquerade as anything else. Like it was it's a somber song. It's not like popped up lyrics on top of this sad moment like because he's actually trying to make you feel that you know um
3: because i'm i helped with the list i know i didn't i don't think i gave you this song but the song freshman is Uh, also about that by the verb and there's a lot and what's interesting is that will actually went to high school with the people that that song is about. They they were at like a school dance. And mm. she gave birth. And she threw the baby in the trash. Ah! Yeah. And so they... they I found think there's that. been
1: a lot of things written that based, are based on that. Yeah. Yeah. Alright, moving on. And I should say, too, I mean... To your point with the, ver- with the song by The Verve and all that, like, these are not the only songs out there. I mean... Most songs have some sort of meaning, whether it's blatant or a little bit more obscure. I mean, this was just our list of songs that we put together to make an episode. We could do this probably a lot. I'm sure you could have a whole other podcast on what songs mean. But that is not this. This is a compilation list. We totally should. So the next song that I kind of want to talk about. Oh, this one doesn't really have a match either. Next song I'm going to talk about, because LD made my list, <laughs> is Bruce Springsteen, Born in the USA. It was released 1984. LD, if you would.
3: say i love that song
1: (laughs) well i
3: do i might like it less now it's actually in the same vein as pink houses by john cougar mellencamp yeah in its meaning but i'll let you take it away
1: fair enough so the song itself superficially a flag-waving anthem to america the song is actually a commentary on the return of american soldiers to their country after the vietnam war The song presents a veteran as a tragic figure alienated upon his return from the war. The song's working-class protagonist joins the armed forces to, quote, fight the yellow man and is disaffected upon his return to the United States. His brother or buddy in some live shows, also a veteran, is all gone. Two scholars writing in the journal American Quarterly, explored the song as a lament for the embattled working class identity, which means there's going to be a lot of big words. Sorry. Structurally, they noticed that the anthemic chorus contrasted with the verse's desperate narrative, a tension which informs an understanding of the song's overall meaning. The nationalist chorus continuously overwhelms the desperation and sacrifice relayed in the verses. They point out, that the imagery of the Vietnam War could be read as metaphor for the social and economic siege of American blue-collar communities at large, and that, lyrics discussing eman- and that lyrics discussing economic devastation are likely symbolic for the effect of blind nationalism upon the working class. The song as a whole, they felt, laments the destabilization of the economics and... Po- okay, we get it. Yeah, I got, we got it. I got I'm I'm just done reading that at this point. <laughs> I'm done. Like, I get it. Just, it was it was, it was basically a, it just trying to take just a lot watching of watching
3: you crash on all of those words because <laughs> you started with such I did vigor. pretty good.
1: <laughs> well, I just got tired of reading the same thing over and over again. We get it. You're smart. The mm-hmm. song contrasts the jaunty nationalist imagery with a. Kind of sad and true idea. Ooh, look at me. I have a college degree
3: and have mm-hmm. big words in my back pocket.
1: I mean, I got big words too, dude. Don't mean I got to show them all the yeah. time. Am I right?
3: Snuffle up a guess. Boom. Super califragilistic biatch. Transcendental meditation mofo. Right? Collarbone. Boom. Did you say collarbone? It's
1: a big word. Okay. It's got like ten letters. Cool. I love this song, and I didn't get the year on it. I'm sorry, but I know it's another '90s one, so whatever. Fastball, I'm gonna ruin all of your favorite songs from the '90s. Sorry, guys.
0: Okay.
1: So Fastball's The Way, super popular song, 98, yeah. Fastball frontman Tony Scalzo came up with the idea for the song after reading articles which described the June 1997 disappearance of an elderly married couple, Layla and Raymond Howard, from Salado, Texas. They left home to attend the Pioneer Day Festival at nearby Temple, Texas, despite Layla's Alzheimer's and Raymond recently recovering from brain surgery. They were discovered two weeks later dead at the bottom of a ravine near Hot Springs, Arkansas, hundreds of miles off their intended route. About the song, Scalzo said that it's a romanticized take on what happened. He pictured them taking off to have fun like they did when they first met. The song's lyrics revolve around an older married couple who decide to leave their life behind by packing their things and going driving without telling their children about their plans. Their car breaks down during the trip, forcing them to continue on foot. The chorus expresses the idea that the couple are achieving happiness by losing touch with the world, even though they may never see their home again. Which I think is a great, well-written song. Are you done with that song?
3: I have a fun fact. Is it about the family? What? Okay. After, uh, before you give your fun fact, I'm going to give my fun fact. Fun fact! The family that he's actually singing about the real couple. The kids found out about it and he was like, "Well, do you, are you okay with me singing the song?" And they're like, "We love it. We we think that that's an amazing thing and it's such a beautiful way to memorialize them. And it's it's such a upbeat and wonderful way to think that's how they they left this earth. They left it having fun and they left it together." So the family really loves it.
1: Yeah, I think he treated it with respect cuz it's definitely a sad story that it and the fact that it's a true story, it's definitely sad. I think he treated it with respect. But it's also really nice that like the family heard it, knew about it and, you know, that the family not only approved but actually applauded the effort, you know, applauded how it came out and appreciated it, you know?
3: I think it's a beautiful way to memorialize two people. I, I think yeah. it's, that's probably one of the songs that does have a darker meaning, but it has a, a, a beautiful end.
1: My fun fact. Fun fact! The beginning of the song features a radio scanning through FM stations. Among the songs played are Jules' full... Fo- you don't have a voice. You shouldn't be exclaiming things. Go back to your corner, ghost. Among the songs played are Jules' foolish games, Roy Orbison's... I'm surprised you didn't shout that one out. Roy Orbison's You Got It and Madonna's Vogue. I'm surprised you shout out Jewel, but not Roy Orbison. Because that's the order. Did you look at my notes? Get out of here.
3: No, but it's like, you know it. Yeah. Part of the song. Yeah, I know. Anyways,
1: okay. Oh, hey, here's one I could have put up with uh, Semi Charmed and. Uh, what was it? Semi Charmed and Can't Feel My Face see a chandelier hit it ld
3: party girls don't get hurt can't find anything when will i learn i push it down push it down i'm the one for a good time call phone's blowing up bring
4: up my doorbell i feel the love i feel the love
1: So this one's from 2014. Again, you probably know it. It's an electro pop song. Someone else's description, not mine. Electro pop song featuring electronica, R&B, and reggae influences. Lyrically, the song, though, has a sad theme detailing the... And again, this is written by college folk. Just say words, y'all. Like, come on. Lyrically, the song has a sad theme detailing the demoralization and rationalization of alcohol alcohol. I need some alcohol right now. Lyrically, the song has a sad theme detailing the demoralization and rationalization of alcoholism throughout the thought process of a party girl. More broadly, the song speaks to the fleeting feelings of release and abandon that come with intoxication as well as the pain, guilt, and emptiness that accompany addiction and hedonistic excess. John Walker from MTV Buzzworthy said that he thought the song had a dark theme, quote, towing the line between celebration and self-destruction as it becomes increasingly more blurred. Fun fact! A music video for the song, which was directed by Sia and Daniel Askill and choreographed by Ryan Heffington, features dancer Maddie Ziegler... From the popular TV show Dance Moms. It has been viewed on YouTube more than 2.1 billion times. Yeah, it's... It's, it's very popular. It's a beau Have you seen the music video? Oh, yeah. it's
3: It's amazing. Gorgeous. I mean...
1: But I think if you watch the music video in relation to the song, like the song kind of has this like glitz and glamour aspect to it, but if you watch it against the music video... I think you get more of that internal struggle of it.
3: I also feel like Maddie needs to get a tetanus shot after
1: she's done. Yeah, no joke. That place was gross. So the next one that I'm going to do is from 1976. So I can stop destroying the songs of our youth for a minute and go to the songs of my parents' youth. So the song is Detroit Rock City by Kiss. So while, again, kind of a fun song, you know, so you might not guess it. The song is based around a real life incident. However, it did not happen in Detroit. The song references Detroit. The real life incident that inspired the lyric did not take place there. I had the basic riff of the song, the get up, get down part, Paul Stanley recalls. But I didn't know what the song was about, except it was about detroit and then i remembered on the previous tour i think it was in charlotte somebody had gotten hit by a car and killed outside the arena i remember thinking how weird it is that people's lives end so quickly people can be on their way to something that's a really big party and a celebration of being alive and die in the process of doing it so that became the basis for the lyric super dark bro super dark on the album destroyer which the song comes from. It segues into King of the Nighttime World via the sounds of a car crash. The songs were played together on the Destroyer tour. Fun fact number two. During the Rock and Roll Over tour, Stanley changed the lyric, I know I'm going to die, why, to I know I'm going to die and I don't care. Here's your fun facts for Detroit Rock City. This one's 94. But I love this band and I know maybe the lead singer is not the greatest guy in the world
3: but I still love it. Come on, dude, he had a vest for his harmonicas. John Popper. Yeah, I understand that he got arrested with hollow tip bullets, but he is a harmonica god.
1: There's also a lot of um comments out there about him being like really skeeby. I don't know. Whatever. He's cool. So I told you the band is Blues Traveler. The song is Hook.
4: Yeah. It's your the hope you back.
1: I don't know if this is dark necessarily in the straight out meaning, because it is pretty straightforward. The lyrics mean exactly what they say. <clears throat> so the song's lyrics, they're aimed direct- directly at the listener. And they assert that the lyrical content of any song is effectively meaningless as the song's musical hook will keep listeners coming back even if they are unaware of the reason. In the introduction, John Popper sings, It doesn't matter what I say so long as I sing with inflection. That makes you feel that I'll convey some inner truth or vast reflection. This is followed by more lyrics about how he has nothing to say. These lyrics are a satirical take on the formulaic way Popular music is generated. Further on the song, however, the lyrics become even more blatant, claiming that formulaic music is an easy way to make money. When I'm feeling struck and I need a buck, I don't rely on luck because the hook brings you back. The musically lazy chord structure viewed in combination with the meta lyrics reveal the true extent of the song's genius quote. That's a quote. Genius. Genius. Popper has stated, the commentary is a big joke about how listeners will like just about anything laid on top of the chords of the infinitely cliched Bell canon, even lyrics that openly mock them for liking it. All right. This one's obvious. It's so obvious. And if you don't know what this song is about by now, I don't know how to help you other than to tell you outright what it's about right now. Police don't stand so close to me.
2: Young
4: teacher, the subject of school girl fantasy. She wants him so badly, knows what she wants to be. Inside her, there's longing. This girl's an open page. But mark her, she's so close, now, this girl is half his age. Don't
1: The music and lyrics of the song were written by the lead singer of The Police, Sting. The song deals with the mixed feelings of lust, fear, and guilt that a female student has for a school teacher and vice versa, and the inappropriateness leading to confrontation, which is unraveled later on in the song. The line, just like the old man in that book by Nobokov, alludes to Vladimir Nobokov's novel Lolita, which covers somewhat similar issues. Before joining the police, Sting had previously worked as an English teacher. Sting said of the song in 1981, it was released in 1980, by the way, I wanted to write a song about sexuality in the classroom. I'd done teaching practice at secondary schools and been through the business of having 15-year-old girls fancying me, and me really fancying them. How I kept my hands off them, I don't know. Then there was my love for Lolita, which I think is a brilliant novel. But I was looking for the key for 18 months and suddenly there it was that opened the gates and out it came. The teacher, the open page, the virgin, the rape in the car, getting the sack, Nobokov, all that. That was a direct quote. Don't yell at me. But in 1993, however, he said of the song's inspiration, you have to remember we were blonde bombshells at the time and most of our fans were young girls. So I started role playing a bit. Let's exploit that. In a 2001 interview for the concert DVD All This Time, Sting denied that the song is autobiographical. So, say what you will. He could be playing up the story. He could be making it up. Either way, it's disturbing. Fun fact! After being criticized for rhyming "cough" with Nobikov, Sting replied, I've used that terrible, terrible rhyme technique a few times. Technically, it's called the feminine rhyme, which is true. Where? It's so appalling, it's almost humorous. You don't normally get those types of rhymes in pop music, and I'm glad. So, to wrap up the episode, I'd like to throw in some honorable mentions. And these were ones that I wanted to make a quick note, throw out what they kind of meant, but that there wasn't a ton of information on, or that I didn't feel really fit the theme of the episode as well. This one's kind of obvious. They might be giants. End of the tour.
4: There's a girl with a crown and a scepter who's on WLSD, and she says that the scene isn't what it's been, and she's thinking of going that it's old and it's totally over now and it's old and it's over it's over now and it's over it's over it's over now i can see myself at the end of the tour when the lord disappears if there's
1: Okay, so this one to me was obvious, but that's because I was reading it. I don't know that I've necessarily heard it. I don't I don't think you would have
3: because a it's a deeper cut on one of their later albums. So Okay. And like Flood is the one that everybody knows.
1: Okay. So yeah, so for me I but this is a suggestion from Eldie's husband Will, which we love him, so we decided we'd throw it on here. It made the honorable mentions list, so there you go. The song surrounds a car crash, and though the narrator's car is not damaged, those involved in the accident are killed or maimed, leading to reflections from the narrator on death and the afterlife, or, you know, the end of the tour.
3: And actually, not to belittle your stuff, but what had happened was The actual event that happened was that they were on their tour bus, and their tour bus hit a little girl.
1: Oh, that was not in there. I didn't know that. Yeah. Okay, well, that wasn't, I, this was one I couldn't really find as much. So I went to a website, and that's what it told me, and there you go. All right. Then maybe it should have been in the regular, but I couldn't find the research, so there you go. All right. This one is honorable mention because it's one of LD's favorites. If you went back to the short sets. What? what? I was
3: cheering because
1: it's... Oh, I thought you were making me wait for something. I was like, no, come on. We're almost done. Like, it's just these little bits. (laughs) So this is one of LD's favorites. If you go back to the short sets where we listed off our favorite, our least favorite, and our guilty pleasures is Len, Steal My Sunshine.
4: 1999. Hey Matt. Yeah, Sam. Hey, you talk to Mark lately? Uh, I haven't really talked to him, but he looks pretty uh, down. <laughs> he looks pretty uh, down. Yeah, well, maybe we should cheer him up then. What do you uh, suppose we should do? Well, does he like butter tarts? I was lying on the grass on Sunday morning of last week, indulging in.
1: The song seems to be about not letting the proverbial haters get you down, but it's actually about struggling with depression and the people in your life that don't understand it. Then we have Laid by the band James. One of my favorite songs. Laid is? So basically all my honorable mentions are just ones you wanted me to cover and I decided (laughs) I wasn't going to. (laughs) Ha <laughs> ha So basically, Laid is a song that seems to be about a guy getting, you know, laid. Did you say the artist's name? Cause oh, James. Which yeah, makes I thought it, I did.
3: Which makes it super hard to find on a ton of
1: platforms if you just name it James. Like, Yeah, I had that with um, the artist Cam. Just Cam. And then it was just, it was very difficult to find her when she first came out. Ugh. A little easier now. But, yeah, really hard, once upon a time, to find her. So it seems to be about a guy getting laid. Pretty straightforward. What it's actually about is a dysfunctional relationship where the girl ends up stalking her ex. So there you go. Dark. Honorable mention. Then another one of LD's favorites, Hanson Mbop. this was more deeper meaning than darker meaning because it's just um, umbop represents time that passes very quickly a quote from them explaining their song and so in a story about reaching for what's important and kind of driving towards the impossible dream um, umbop is telling you go now go now go now because in a moment in an um, umbop life will be over and have passed you by
3: you have so many relationships in this life Only one or two will last. You go through all that pain and strife and you turn your back and they've gone so fast. Are you quoting
1: the lyrics? (laughs) Yes, I am. Stop it. (laughs) We have one left and then I get to get out of this room of coughing. (laughs) The last one that I'm going to touch on. And the reason it's not in the main list is because it is a fictional story. It's The Clash, Rock the Casbah, 1982. The song gives a fabulist account of a ban on Western music by an Arab king. The lyrics describe the king's efforts to stop his population from listening to this music, such as ordering his military's jet fighters to bomb any people in violation of the ban. The pilots ignore the orders, but instead play rock music on their cockpit radios. The population then proceeds to rock the Kasbah by dancing to the music. This scenario was inspired by the ban on Western music in Iran after the 1979 Islamic Revolution. But again, it was just... It was inspired by it, but it's not a real story. So I just put it in the honorable mentions. And I'm going to say something that might not be
3: correct, but I feel like I saw this on VH1's pop-up video, was that the lead singer's father was actually... Working in the government at the time. So I don't think he was very happy.
1: I can neither confirm nor deny that. That was like towards the end of my researching. And I just needed to finish it. So that is our episode on uh, lyrics with darker meanings. Songs with darker meanings. Whatever. Thank you for checking this episode out.
3: Yeah. Check us out next week where if there is a <laughs> if ld gets her voice back actually can talk like a human being next week because if i have a voice our episode is actually going to be on music conspiracy theories
1: Woo! yay continuing our spooky halloween month spooky halloween, spooky halloween. I, love <laughs> do that. I can make voices it's fun all right so thank you guys so much again for checking us out I, I enjoyed this episode. I thought it was fun. Yeah. Go check us out. Here's our stuff. Social. LD usually does this, so I'm not sure how to say this. So here we go. If you'd like to support us and send us monies because we need things, which we're very always very appreciative of, and I think we have some slots left in this ongoing thing. Our Patreon account is patreon.com slash rockandrollheaven. Our Twitter is at LT. Our Facebook is Rock and Roll Heaven Pod. Instagram, Rock and Roll Heaven LT. Uh, website, no. Or you can email at us. Or, or you can email at us. You can email us at rockandrollheavenlt at gmail.com. It is always us responding. We are a two woman show over here. DIY. Yup. So, you know, come talk at us. We like you. We love you. I'm terrible at this. Uh, Hey, LD. (laughs) Yes. I'm getting out of here. Okay. (laughs) Do you want my
3: can of Lysol just to hose yourself down? I
1: kind of do. Yeah, a little bit. (laughs) Not going to lie. I got to run away. Okay, bye. (laughs) Bye.
2: It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football.